Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Today is Tuesday, February 23rd, and we had a hiatus last week because of the snowstorm and uh, winter storm and ice storm and all the crazy weather last week here in Texas. We are back this week with um, our Bible study on Ecclesiastes. Uh, We went through chapters 9 and 10 of Ecclesiastes, and we went a full hour and a half, so this intro is going to be very short. But if you want to see more, we uh, we will have the video of the Bible study on our YouTube channel. Just search Resurrection Fredericksburg. It'll also be on our website, resurrectionfbg.org. In fact, if you want to find out more for our service times and for other content we have put out there, uh, recordings of services and sermons and things like that, just go there, resurrectionfbg.org, and you'll see it all on the news tab or um, just check out the website, see what you find. Without further ado, here is our Bible study on Ecclesiastes chapters 9 and 10. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O Lord God, you led your ancient people through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. Guide the people of your church that following our Savior, we may walk through the wilderness of this world toward the glory of the world to come. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to close one of these doors. Anybody wants to come in, can come in that other door. Just kind of reduces the echo. So we are back, everybody. How's everybody uh, feeling after last week? Thankful. Yeah, glad to see the sun, I'm sure. Um, yeah, it felt, felt kind of strange having to cancel Bible study and cancel Ash Wednesday. You know, I talked to different pastors in town, and they said that they they recorded it on Tuesday and then put it up on Wednesday. And I thought, I I, I don't even know how you could do that. I don't I don't think we had power most of the time on right. Tuesday here. Yeah. So, and then it was going to be iffy on Wednesday. So we just said we're just not gonna we're just not gonna have it. So it's a shame. Feels weird having Lent without Ash Wednesday. Um, so, but we are in Lent, and Ecclesiastes is an appropriate. Book for Lent. Yes. Do you put something on your forehead? What's that? Uh, ashes. Ash, ashes. You Did do? I do that? Or I don't know. Oh. Alice says, no, ask him. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, um, yeah, so, yeah, on Ash Wednesday, we would, we would normally put the ashes on the forehead. Um, it's, a mo- it's, it's not a very old practice, actually, to do the imposition of the ashes on the forehead. Um, it's fairly recent, at least for as long as the church has been around. Um, but, I mean, it's something people look forward to. The, the, you know, having the pastor tell you that cheerful phrase, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And then having the ashes put on your forehead to, remem- to remind you that you are mortal. Uh, that you will die someday. And that Lent is all about relying less on ourselves and more on God, right? 
So um, to some people on the outside of the church, they may look at that and say, that's, that's just so dreary. It's not so, it's not very joyful, is it? And we're like, no, it's very joyful. It's very joyful to realize where your trust and hope really comes from. It's God. Right? Uh, so. And that's um, what happened this week. It was a very humbling experience because we were, we were, we were, without. Oh, yeah. We were fasting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think. <laughs> all you had were your prayers. Just, Lord, right. please let electricity come on. Please let us have something to eat. Right. Please do this. Please do that. You know, it's, it, you know, I guess what oh, this last week has taught us, especially in this area, is that even though last year and even till now we're still dealing with COVID and things like that, but just, just, just so you know, it can, it can always get worse. There's always more that can happen. And there's always more of a reason to rely on God. So um, that's, for, that's for sure. Um, I'm trying to think. So we weren't here last week, and we were going to go on to chapters 9 and 10 in Ecclesiastes. Um, and I handed out the, the sheets, right? So everybody's got a sheet for Ecclesiastes 9 and 10. I'm this here. We'll get ready here to... Read through it. Um, and we're not going to do a recap because we can just go watch the video to get a recap on that one. Um, I think I spend more of my time doing a recap than actually doing the Bible study, so we should just uh, get on with it, right? So Ecclesiastes 9. Um, who would like to read Ecclesiastes 9 for us? And you can break it up into different verses. Someone can do half, other... Other person can do a half, however you want to do it. Who wants to read? We'll just, we'll just ask that. Okay. Paul, you got it. Yep. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteousness and the wise <coughs> and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad. The clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful, as it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterwards they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, 
where you are going, there's neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come, as fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it surrounded it and built huge seeds against it. Now there lived in that city a man, poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom, but nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of the rulers of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. All right. So there's a lot here. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, first of all, did something stand out for anybody in there? Like, because there's a lot here. We're going to dive into it. Uh, in fact, it's funny because on these sheets, it just goes right into the discuss. Usually we look into it, you know, we see look, and then we have discuss and apply. But is there something that jumped out at you from Ecclesiastes 9? Something that caught your attention? Yeah. If you wouldn't mind sharing with us, that, you know, if something did catch your attention. I'm trying to find it. Where it says, <laughs> where does it say, when you're dead, you're done? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> That's it. Yeah, that uh, I think I think that's verse three, verse right? Five. Yeah, it's like three through five. Yeah, there's the that dead, whole section there. Yeah, the dead like, know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Yeah, I, I, I get the name is forgotten, but <laughs> yeah, and then like verse three, this is an evil, and all that is done under the sun, and that's the key, right? This is under the sun. This is apart from faith, apart from God. That one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. There you go. <laughs> you're crazy, then you die. Yeah, right? Yeah, you're crazy, then you die. Or, um, yeah... It's uh, not much hope, is it? Um, but there is something there saying, but for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Right? So... I mean, life is a gift from God. So, mm. I mean, yeah, living is your gift. So That's a gift. That's right. Do something. Yeah, do something with it. Uh, <laughs> do something worthwhile and meaningful. As... Especially in regards to faith, right? That, and that's, that's what we as Christians understand, that Jesus says um, that I am the true vine, that you cannot bear fruit apart from me, right? Apart, me, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? 
Now, you can probably go off and feed a bunch of people or clothe a bunch of kids or something like that. But if it's apart from faith, you know, it's just, it's just like what Solomon is saying. Someday those clothes will tatter and fall away. That food doesn't last for very long for the, for the hungry people that get it. Uh, so if that's all that you're putting your trust in is what you do materially for other people, it's going to go away. It's going gonna, it's gonna to depart. But when you do it with the connection saying, you know, I do this because of the love of God that is in me, that God has shown to me, which I want to share with you, that means infinitely more, or it can mean infinite, inf, inf, infinitely more, you know, and opens the door possibly for them saying, wow, that's different, right? That's different from just giving me food because I'm hungry. Uh, Jesus saying, you know, that um, if you knew who you were speaking, he, I think it was, it was the, the Syrophoenician woman at the well when he said, uh, he said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would not... You would ask me for the, the living water that will quench your thirst forever, basically. You know, it's, if you knew who you were talking to. And then he says, I am the bread of life, right? Whoever, whoever e eats of me will not die, but will live forever, right? So it's, it's this interesting thing that um, under the sun, things pass away. I mean, this last week should have taught us that for sure with all the ice and the snow and trees dying, falling apart. You know, um, I think I heard a lot of deer, the Axis deer, a lot of them died. They just couldn't handle the cold, you know? And uh, anyone caught out in this were in danger of dying. And that, that just would have been it. And they had no way of knowing that it was going to come. They had no way of knowing that they should do a whole bunch of preparations and this, that, and the other. I mean, it's, it's a sad thing to die apart from faith, right? Apart from Christ. But for all people, everybody dies. I know it's a cheery notion, but everybody dies. And yet, Christians live forever. You know, we live forever through Jesus Christ because He is alive. Um, he is living. He is the one true living God. So, tangent over on that one. But... It's a good thing to keep in mind, right? Um, anything else jump out at y'all before we jump into the discuss portion? Something else from this chapter? This verse 9 is kind of sad, isn't it? Hmm. <laughs> Live joyfully with the yeah, wife but, whom you love. Yeah but, yeah, but it's all a lot of yeah buts in there. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah. How so? Well, live joyfully with your wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which mm. is giving you under the sun. That <clears throat> ain't going to do you any good. All your days of vanity, for that yeah. is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun, right? <clears throat> yeah, so um, I guess that's even. A warning to people to say, you know, uh, it's uh, a warning to say, live, well, live joyfully with what God has given you, right? Ideally, people would be married uh, and, and enjoy things with their spouse. Um, so for those who do have spouse, then live, live joyfully with them all the days of your, 
all the days of your vain life, right? It's kind of one of these things. I'm I'm listening to, uh, I listen to audiobooks sometimes. I try to more read, and I don't even do that as much as I should. But um, there's a novel that a friend of mine um, recommended to me, and it's about um, the Roman senator Cicero. And there's all sorts of going on. But the guy who was nominated or elected to be the imperator or, you know, the guy who's in charge of everything for a certain amount of time, right? He has a public slave ride behind him in the procession when everyone's cheering him on saying, Yay, look, here's our new leader. He has a public slave standing behind him whispering into his ear, Remember that you will die someday, right? To keep him humble. Right? To say, this will end someday, just so you know, don't let it get to your head. Right? And sometimes we all need that reminder. Um, sometimes we all need that reminder so that we remember what, where our focus ought to be. And for them in Rome, there was like virtue and they had their gods and things like that. But for us Christians, our virtue is literally found in Jesus Christ. Right? So... Remember that you will die someday, but for those who are in Christ, he didn't stay dead, and neither will you. That's the point. Maybe they ought to play that in Congress every 10 minutes. Rem <laughs> Memento mori. Yeah, it's, it's this remember that you will die. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's a classic kind of notion, but it's something that I think we ought to maybe bring back. Um, but yeah, like you said, verse 9 is sad. It's kind of sad. But... It's the reality that we face, and as we've seen throughout the entire book of Ecclesiastes, if we only stop here, then it's really depressing. Right? It's, there's like, well, what's the point of even going on? Uh, which is why I'm trying to sprinkle in as much hope with faith in Christ as much as I can throughout all this. But number um, nine, verse 9 is not too bad for somebody who's in a real bad marriage. No, real bad what? Marriage. Bad marriage. Oh. No love. Yeah, Even if terrible. they stay married, at least number nine, verse 9 tells them there is a hereafter yeah. where things will be all right. <laughs> yeah, live joyfully. Well, it's kind of like, you know, enjoy what you have. Right. No right? matter how bad it is. Right. I think, and don't, ladies, don't get mad at me for this. This is something that I heard from, uh, uh, I was listening to something, and there's this... Um, there's a sermon, there's like a collection of sermons by uh, John Chrysostom, which in Greek means golden-mouthed, you know. Um, John the golden-mouthed, what a great name. But he was a great preacher. And he had these sermons on marriage. And one of the things he said, which was really funny because he was single, um, but, you know, he gets everything from Scripture as best he can, and then he has, you know, other texts to kind of fill in, fill in some virtues and some ad advice, and he says... Ladies, again, and everybody on YouTube, don't get angry at me. I didn't say this, but I'm just repeating what I've heard him say, which is kind of funny, because he says, bluntly, don't tell your wife too often that she's beautiful. Now, hear me out. It's kind of funny, and I'm, I'm not taking it to heart, but it's a kind of funny notion, because he says, don't tell your wife that she's beautiful too much, because if she's... If you marry young, and she is beautiful, it's going to go to her head, and eventually 
the beauty fades over time. And then you're going to be stuck saying, well, why didn't you stay beautiful? You used to be so beautiful. You know, instead of enjoying just who you have. And if you're, and he also says, and if your wife is really not that beautiful, you know, um, <laughs> which is kind of funny to think that he would be so blunt like this in the pulpit. You know, he's, he's preaching this out to people. Um, he didn't, he wasn't liked by some folks, just so you know. Um, <laughs> but he said, he said, you know, but if she's not as beautiful as somebody else's wife, at least, at least you'll be happy with what you have. And, and, you know, you're, you're just grateful that God would give you a spouse, you know, and, and, and so that you don't focus on beauty as much as, or more than you ought to, right? <laughs> I mean, he's got a point. Gentlemen, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't tell your wives that you're beautiful, you know, so it's to say, or that, you know, it's kind of one of those things. It's like, well, why do I need to go to church? Why do I need to, you know, uh, hear about Jesus and, his, and, and what he's done for me all the time? I'm, I'm good. And it's like, well, are you married? And it's like, do you tell your wife that you love her? Or did you just say to yourself, uh, well, I said I love you on our wedding day, and that was good enough, right? Why do you need to hear it every day? <laughs> you need that reassurance. So ladies, yes, yeah, you should have someone say that you're beautiful, or that God loves you, right? Or I love you, or something like that. So I, I bring that up because it just popped into my head. So, But enjoy what you have. Enjoy what God has given you. Because, uh, because that's how you guard yourself against covetousness, right? The, the last two commandments and the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet. All right, I think we're good on that. Let's, let's, let's go into the discuss portion here on our worksheets. So, who controls the lives of the righteous and the wise? It's kind of a broad question, but according to Ecclesiastes 9, how would you answer that? God does. God does. Mm, yeah. The Lord holds everything in his hands, including the future, right? Um, Solomon says in uh, verse seven, verse, sorry, chapter 8, verse 17, he says, um, Then I saw all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is, uh, that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. So who is the only one who was able to find it? And that's God, right? Yeah. No one can comprehend what God does in this life under the sun. That's kind of... It's, it's, it's not a satisfying answer, but it is an answer to someone who would say, why does... If, if God is love, then why would he allow horrible things to happen? Right? And it's just like, well, I don't know. Right? Nobody does. We don't know exactly why certain things happen, at least in the moment. Right? Um, but we know from Romans, from Paul, when he writes that all things work for the good of those who love God and who have been called according to his purpose. Right? That these things, though we don't understand them, though we don't, it doesn't make sense to us why this horrible thing happened, or why I'm struggling in this way, uh, kind of like Job, though we don't know, we trust that God has some purpose for it, and that we wait on Him to show us, right? And at the very least, 
Um, and I know it, it, it may not provide comfort in the moment, but hopefully down the road, if a tragedy falls upon somebody, the best kind of encouragement you can give to them is say, turn to God. He is the only one who can help you right now. He is the only one who can give you that peace to struggle through, you know? Um, and don't worry about complaining to him as if he's busy or something. Understand that he wants to hear from you. Understand that he wants, he desires to know that you trust him so much to say, Lord, this happened, but I don't understand, but I trust in you all the same. Please help me someday to figure out why this happened to me and why this is, and because I know that it, you allowed it to happen for some reason, and I'm just waiting and trusting, you know, kind of like the Psalms say, um, be still and know that I am God, right? Trust in Him. He will sustain you. He will take care of you. Um, at the very least, it's more of an excuse to pray and rely on God all the more, okay? Well, it's just like the, right after 9-11, more people went to church than had gone in decades, yeah. and more people were praying openly. And how long did that last? <laughs> a week. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's why God lets things happen. He wants us to ask Him for deliverance and patience and tolerance and the ability to survive the trial, if that be His will. That's at least one part of it, I'm sure. I think it's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, because we want to be careful and, and not go into the whole thing of like, you know, so you're saying that my loved one died so that I would trust in God more. And it's just like, well, that's part of it. That's part of it. Um, but what happens to that person after they die, it's in God's hands. So you have to trust them at least on that one. Right? Sorry, Tim, are you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, if you're a believer and your loved one that died was a believer, you know they're much better off than they were here. And that's, that's a tremendous comfort. I would, yeah. I would say so. I, I mean, know, Scripture says so, too. Yeah, right? because my mother, you know, she suffered with severe rheumatoid arthritis for about 15 years before she died. And, I mean, she, she couldn't even sleep. She was in so much pain. And at night, after everybody was asleep and gone to bed, she would sit in the kitchen and cry and pray. And, you know, when she died, you know, I was there when she, when she passed away, and she kept trying to get up, and I told her, just, she was under an oxygen tent, and I just kept, I told her, I said, just lay down, relax. You're getting ready to go home. And she did. She lay down, relaxed, and about five minutes later, she was gone. So. Yeah. It's, um. But yeah, her suffering was over. Yeah. So it was, I didn't have any problem at all with her passing away. And that's a gift. Mm hmm That's a gift. Um, that is a tremendous gift. Especially because, you know, as a pastor, I, I don't look forward to these days when, like, there's a special, there's a special service in my pastoral care companion for the, it's called the commendation of the dying. And it's commending someone over into God's hands when they're on their deathbed. I do not look forward to using that, right? It's but not easy. It's not easy. Death is awful. And that's exactly why Solomon says... You know, um, this is an evil that is done under the sun. That one thing happens to all. It's evil that there's death in the world. Death is not natural. Anybody who wants to tell you that, I mean, I, 
it's funny, you know, I love, I love my wife because she gives these great insights sometimes, and she told me this one day, and I'll never forget it because I was like, whoa, that's really good. She said, you know, death is not natural. If it was, you wouldn't be scared of it. <laughs> Think about it. If it's just a natural thing, what are you afraid of? And that's what some atheists do, right? They'll say, well, death, death's just a part of life. And we as Christians say, no, it's really not. It's never what God intended for us, but it is the consequence of sin. It's really, really sad. And Paul, in um, Thessalonians, he says, he, he acknowledges the evil that it is, and he says, we do not mourn as those who don't have hope. Right? Yes, we mourn for a time because death is a horrible thing, but we do not mourn as those who do not have hope. Hope in a living God who will raise those who have died in Him and will give them everlasting life in body and soul. And it's a beautiful thing, but it's still sad. Right? Anyway, sorry. Ecclesiastes gets to me. It's, it's, a, it's a heavy, 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 heavy book, right? Mm -hmm. But these are, these are important things. And you know what? I wouldn't be surprised because I've seen it personally from people, so this is anecdotal, but more and more people are needing that. They're needing to know these truths behind all this because without it, it's just it's nothing. There's nothing. Like You wonder why um, so many people... It, it's just so sad to see people in such despair when we have the answer, right? We have the answer to, to that despair to say, listen, God does not desire this despair for you. He desires joy and peace for you, right? And here it is. Yes, it's hard to get to it, but you know what? It's the best thing you're going to get because it's straight from God. So I think we do everybody a good service by being... Um, by being... Um, uh, unapologetic about saying, hey, we've got it. You, are, you, are you nervous about death? Hey, we have a place that you can go where you will be told you will not die. At least not eternally. Right? Come and see. Come and see. Alright. Number two. <laughs> we would like to think that the righteous and the wicked share different destinies, but Solomon says it doesn't happen that way. What is his conclusion about the destinies of the righteous and the wicked, verses 1 through 3? Kind of already gave it away. But... All the same, we die. Yeah, we all die. We all die. We like to think, you know, like Job's friends, we'd like to think, oh, well, you did, like, God is punishing you because you did something really bad, right? Or, you know, that, that um, you know, uh, what is it? That, I don't know, it's, it's as much as we see it throughout the world and life that it's contrary, we always want to say, well, the wicked never prosper. It's like, what are you talking about? Look at the people who are in power all the time. They are, I'd say they're not so great, you know, at the very least, if I'm going to be charitable. They're not great. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call them Christian or say that they espouse Christian values. I don't know what they believe, but the way they live their lives, some, some of the people in power with a lot of money and a lot of power, you just kind of have to wonder, it's like, what is going on? And why would God allow such 
evil people to be in charge, especially in, you know, you see like third world nations, warlords and things like that. They're prospering all over the place. <clears throat> but I guess the point is that one day they will die too, and there'll be an end to their terror and their, you know, um, the bad things that they do. But as long as we're on this side of glory, someone else will take the place, right? It's not a cheery thing to think about. Um, plenty of evil leaders. What's that? There's plenty of evil leaders to take their place. Oh yeah, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? It's not scripture, but it's, it's a good proverb. To, Solomon would have said it. Solomon, I think, has said it in some, some way or form. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so, they're all the same. Everybody dies, right? What about three? Uh, Solomon had said that the dead are happier than the living in chapter 4, right? For they no longer see what happens under the sun. So what does Solomon say by contrast in verses 3 through 6? Does he say, does, does, does he say something different? Not really. Said, How so, Tim? Well, he said bad things happen to the good and the evil. And... Uh, the only difference is that once you die, you're happier because then you don't see the suffering of the world that shouldn't be because of, and is only because of sin. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, yeah, you're right that, that, that there's, there's some, he's not really saying anything totally different, but on the outset, you can kind of wonder, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, just for contrast he says then i returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun and look the tears of the oppressed they have no comforter on the side of their oppressors there is power but they have no comforter therefore i praised the dead who were already dead more than the living who are still alive yet better than both is he who has never existed who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun Again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is, is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. So he's saying that it's better not even to, be exist, to have existed because then you wouldn't have the pain of this life. But now here he's saying um, that it's better to be alive in some respects. Because at least you can enjoy what God has given you. But when you're dead, it's over. Right? Is that a contradiction? <laughs> Be careful how you answer that. Because, you know, we Lutherans, we, uh, or any Christian ought to say, no, there is no contradiction in Scripture. Right? But does it seem like a contradiction? Because on one hand, he's saying, better be dead. A couple chapters later, he says, better to be alive. What's he getting at? He said it was better not to have been born at all. Yeah, he says, he says better yet, never better not even to be existed. You know, better, better never have existed and gone through the pain of this life. And he does say something about better to be stillborn. Sorry, that's blunt. That's what he says. Because he sees the pain and torment of sin under the sun. But here he's saying, 
you know, for him who is joined to the living, there's hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. So which is it? Is it better to be dead or is it better to be alive? What's he Both. getting at? Both. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, That's if a good Lutheran answer. <laughs> if you're living in faith, you know it's temporary. Right. And so whether it's evil or good, it's temporary, but what you're constantly looking for is the end times when everything is going to be faultless and sin-free. Right. I mean, it's. I say that's a good Lutheran answer because we Lutherans cannot stand false dichotomies, you know, saying that it must be this way or that way. It's like, why not both? Right? Mm -hmm. In a lot of cases, it is both. And here, especially, Scripture happens to do that. It's... It, it twists your mind. It's 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 mind bending in a way because and, and you know what I I think that's a good uh, testament to this being the word of God because it takes into the into account the complexity of things. It's not it is very simple and straightforward, but there is nuance and complexity because that's how life is. Sin has complicated all kinds of stuff, right? Sin has complicated life because you throw into the mix death. Right? Uh, it's complicated. But um, from the standpoint of the meaninglessness of life, you know, the dead are happier. From the standpoint of taking part in life and the joys that God gives you in that life, the living are better off, for they still have knowledge of what is happening. So it's just seeing things from one point and then looking at it from the other point. Right? It just depends on the perspective that you're in. Um, if you're living, Depending on how well your life is going, if it's going really bad, you might say, like Job did, better that I wasn't even born. Because right. then I wouldn't have suffered. But then, when you're on your deathbed, and you have face and, 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 and you have death staring you in the face, you start saying, Oh, I wish that I would have done something different while I was alive. Right? So um, it just depends on your perspective. Um, what is Solomon's advice to us in verses 7 through 10? Be happy in your circumstances. Yeah. Be happy with what you have, right? Yeah. Be happy with what God has given you, yeah. for sure. Um, you know, uh, we, we'll, we'll jump more into this when we get to the apply portion at the bottom there. But, uh, you know, we can go through each of these. So, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. Um, I think, was there something in here? Yeah, um, I, have, I have this other piece here. It's like, it was from Dr. Kleinig, Seven Councils of Enjoyment in Ecclesiastes. And in this part... You know, he says, um, where is that? Yeah, 7 through 10. He, he, he translates it this way, which I think is kind of interesting. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart or a good conscience. Right? That's, that's what that means. For God has already approved your works or what you do. Let your clothes always be white and let perfume not be lacking on your head. See or experience life with your wife whom you love. All the days of your breath-like life. That's what vain life means. It's like a breath, right? It's fleeting. So enjoy it, right? So it takes on a different meaning now, right? It's not so sad, verse 9 there, right? 
like you said. Um, because in, in, our, in the New King James translation, it says, uh, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. That's very blunt and kind of smacks you in the face. But like he said before, it's like a breath. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Enjoy what you have, right? Um, all of your breath-like life, which he has given to you under the sun, all your breath-like days, for that is your lot in life and your work, and in your work at which you work under the sun. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might, for there is no doing or planning or knowing or wisdom in the underworld or the grave where you are going. So there's six, he says there are six directives as keys to enjoyment. Um, eating with joy and drinking with a good conscience, uh, God marks approval of your work. I mean, that's to say that, you know, when you, when you reap what you sow, and if what you have reaped is a good thing, you know, that typically, it's, it's not on a salvific sense, you know, not in terms of salvation, but if you have sown good seeds amongst people and your friends by showing love to them, and then you reap goodness from them, that's a good thing, right? Kind of, you see what I mean? So like what you do has consequences. It does matter what we do in this world, in this life. It does matter that we love others. It does matter that we are kind to people. It does matter that we help them when they need help. It, it matters, right? Um, so, and then he says, wearing of white clothes and use of perfume at all times is if for a religious festival or festive occasion such as a wedding. So be joyful with what you have. Um, not necessarily, don't go flaunt it, but enjoy it, right? Because it is a gift of God. Sharing a fleeting life with one's spouse, you know, common experience of work and leisure as one's lot from God. Doing what is given to you wholeheartedly each day. Enthusiasm, zest, gusto for work. You know, these opportunity for these, for these things is only in this life. So enjoy it while it lasts. But don't act as if that's the only thing, right? It's that balance. It's that balance he's getting at, too. Um, what about... Do you have any questions about that? Want to discuss that at all? Before we move on? I mean, I think... I, I will say, as Lutherans, we get a little... We can grit our teeth and kind of... Uh, bow up a little bit when we hear that it matters what you do, you know, because then someone might say, well, that's works righteousness. It's just like, well, um, we're not talking about it in the realms of salvation. Right? Nothing you do will merit salvation. It's only the work of God that does that. But let's not fall off on the other side of the horse to say, well, now it doesn't matter what I do because God has done it all for me. Right? There is something for Jesus saying, go and teach, go and, you know, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe or to keep or to guard all that I have commanded you, right? That's Jesus at the end before he's ascended into heaven. I mean, he wants us to live the good life. 
And living the good life means abiding joyfully in what God would have us do. Right? So let's not... Let's not... Uh, um, Let's not call someone a nasty name like a pietist or something like that if they say, well, you know, you, you got to love some. It's like, you have to show love. It's like, oh, that's such a pietist thing to say. You know, God has already loved them. What does it matter? Like, oh, I think you need to read James. All right, um, because James has a lot to say about that. Um, you know, because he says, if you go up to somebody who you know is hungry and you tell them, be filled and be warmed, and then you don't do anything about it, what good is that? Right? How do you say I love you in German and how do you say I love you in French? <laughs> Why? Because well, it probably sounds very harsh in German. I love you in German. Yeah. As opposed to Je t'aime. or in Spanish? Te amo. Te amo. Te amo. It's not so much nicer. Ich liebe dich. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that was oof. the reason. Makes you want to stand up straight, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, makes you want to go, oof, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, getting back to that statement. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you live next door to someone, and you want to live peaceably with them without conflict, mm -hmm. doing things for them and being nice to them mm -hmm. goes a long way. It doesn't mm -hmm. have anything to do with your salvation. Mm -hmm. It's just to make life easier here on earth <laughs> for them yeah. and for you. And right. it's, it's a good thing to do. That's true. It doesn't hurt you. It's true. Um, I don't know anybody who struggles with... I mean, I kind of struggle with it sometimes because I'm just like, well, let God handle them. Uh, you know, but at the same time, you have to say, no, 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 no. Jesus even said, if you only love those who love you, what benefit does that have? Because mm -hmm. even the Gentiles do that. The unbelievers do that. So how are you any better? Yeah. Right? Um, someone who is mean to you or gruff with you or whatever, you ought to reach out to them and... Kill do... them with kindness. Yeah. Kill them with kindness. Again, not in Scripture, but, you know, we understand the meaning and, and it's tantamount to what we ought to be doing as Christians, right? Yeah, kill them with kindness. And it may pay off in the long run. Yeah. They may change their attitude. They might. You never know. Sometimes it's easier said than done. Well, that's why we have to pray for strength, yep. right, Alice? Uh, that's why we're human, Alice. That's right. That's another, that's another instance to rely on God and say, Lord, help me. You know, Lord, have mercy on me to do what I need to do to show this person some love. Yeah, I really don't like that guy, but help me to be nice to him. Help me to be kind to this person, yeah. Nice, uh, I'm kind of trying to take nice out of my vocabulary, unless I'm talking about a sunset or something. Uh, because niceties, nice is fine. Nice is nice. Kind is better. Because kindness is actually a fruit of the Spirit, right? Niceness is not a fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> Being nice can often be seen as, you know, what do they say about nice guys? Finish last. Finish last. But that's not a bad thing necessarily. But it's just that, you know, everyone wants to see Jesus as only a nice guy. He wasn't always nice. I mean, ask the money changers in the temple. He was not always nice. Ask, ask the Pharisees. He was not always nice. But he said what needed to be said. And he was kind to those who needed kindness, right? 
Kindness, I think, is much better than being nice. <laughs> right? Charity is much better than being nice, uh, in my book. So, um, but don't worry, I will be nice. Okay. I will be said, nice. Now that you said that, kindness means you're giving kindness. Mm. And nice is something you do. Oh. Not, not necessarily giving to someone. Yeah, we can, we can go into the etymology mm. of nice and kind and things like that, but uh, um, we'll save that for... How about we make that another Bible study? That's a six-month study. <laughs> another six-month study, yeah. Um, I will drive you all away. Um, I don't want to do that. Okay, so... Um, Solomon continues... Wait, uh, yeah, Solomon continues with his analysis of life. What point does he make in verse 11, verse 12? Just because you're swift doesn't mean you're going to run, win the race, or smart mm -hmm. makes makes you the, the best things. Mm -hmm. And uh, time and chance happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, time and chance. oftentimes yeah. God's will. You know. Um, yeah, time and chance. It's um. <laughs> was it? If you have all the abilities in the world, or if you have all the talent in the world, but you don't work for it. It doesn't mean anything, right? It's such a terrible thing to see someone who has <coughs> tremendous talent not work hard. Such a waste, right? Such a waste. Um, I've, I, I know several people like that, you know, that, or I've, 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 I've encountered it in the past. It's just like, what are you doing? You're so talented. What are you throwing away for, you know? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, so yeah, time and chance determine what it happens to people. Um, and I have the answer key here, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of cheating here, but it, it's, uh, it says also death can come unexpectedly. And if it weren't for my wife, I would never have seen Pollyanna. Um, have you all seen Pollyanna? Back, back, okay, so when Disney Plus first came out on streaming, we were just like, hey, we get a free trial, let's watch... And she's like, ooh, Pollyanna, we should watch Pollyanna. I was like, okay, fine, we'll watch Pollyanna. And we started watching Pollyanna, and the preacher that was in that, if y'all remember the preacher, he gets up there, and, and I, I was sitting there, and I, I was watching, I was like, he's a good preacher. But, you know, he didn't give any gospel. It was all law, because he goes up there and says, death comes unexpectedly, you know, and it's like freaking people out and just making them so, like, no one wanted to go to church. They went to church because of the social pressures. But they didn't want to go to church because he never left them with anything but despair and being downtrodden. And he was beating them down with the law. And I was like, he's right. He's right. And sadly, at the end, he decided to do a whole sermon series on like the happy verses of the Bible. It's like, no, give me Jesus. I want Jesus. You know, please. It's like, it's like the Greeks who came and said, sir, please show us Jesus. That's what we need, right? Um, but yeah, it's true. Death comes unexpectedly. Um, you can't always rely on tomorrow. You can't always rely on your own strengths, right? So be careful. Um, verses 13 through 18, Solomon extols the value of wisdom and the meaninglessness and the meaninglessness of life at the same time. How do y'all explain that? How does that happen?
So just so we don't have complete radio silence here. Um, verses 13 through 18, you know, verse 13, he says, This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that same poor man. Then I said, Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Words of the wise, spoken quietly, should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So, he extols the value of wisdom and the meaninglessness of life at the same time. How is that possible? It just is. It just is, right? Yeah. Uh, people generally don't listen to the wise. They listen to the one that's the loudest and has the most power. Or that sounds like he's offering the best stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, wisdom can save a country, but a sinner can undo all the good that's been done, right? Um, a fool. I think I've, I've heard it recently, like, in scholarly works, you know, when you hear about the fool in the Bible, like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes here, the fool is an actual person, right? It's someone that you tell, don't go digging that pit, you're going to fall into it. He's like, no, 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 I'm not going to fall into it, I'm just going to dig the pit. No, but, no worries, like, no, trust me, you dig that pit, you're going to fall into it. No, I'm not, oh, I just fell in the pit. Oh, I wish someone would have, I wish someone would have told me. <laughs> I told you the whole time, you're going to fall into that pit if you dig it, right? So it's just like this person, no matter what you say, they don't care. Kids. They just don't care. Huh? Children. <laughs> yeah, kids, kids are very foolish. Um... They have to go try it just because you told them not to do it. Yeah, isn't that funny? <laughs> Some adults I know, too. Um, yeah, myself included. But uh, <laughs> from time to time. But it's, uh, yeah, so wisdom is good, but most people don't want it. Right? They're just like, ah, whatever. Because they kind of probably see wisdom is suffering. Wisdom's hard. Wisdom's pain. Why would I want to deal with that? Just give me the good stuff. Right? Um... Yeah, Solomon was probably the only rich wise man. Yeah, and a lot of good it did him in the end, right? Yeah. I mean, in the end, there was also there's this kind of question as to his salvation, even. You know, it's kind of there's 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 at least some question there. I can't say what exactly happened to him, but you can't say what happened to anybody. No, it's true. Nobody except, except Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Moses, Elijah, maybe Enoch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So because he walked with God and then he was not. You know, because God took him. Um, all right, the apply section. Apply. Identify two changes you could make so that your life is a more joyful celebration of God's goodness. Verses 7 through 9. So. Just two? That ought to be easy. Yeah, what's the two you would pick? Be thankful for the things God's given you and enjoy the things that he's given you. Yeah. Enjoy what he's given you. Be thankful. I mean, we have all that in our small catechism. Um, you know, what does it say about, uh, what is it? Give us this day our daily bread, you know, uh, in the Lord's Prayer. And he says, you know, surely God gives us our daily bread without our asking for it. But in this petition, we ask that he would 
um, give it to us and that we would be thankful for it, basically, right? Uh, and what is what is this daily bread? And Luther rattles off all this stuff. You know, it's good. So, you know, yeah, huh, family, you know, good neighbors, godly spouse, godly children, devout, da, 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 da. and then at the end he goes and the like, you know, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, yada yada yada. You know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, give give thanks to God for what He's given you, um, because otherwise, to not be thankful is to be is to begrudge God and to be covetous of your neighbor, right? Um, and don't misuse what God gave you. Yes, be a good steward of what has been entrusted to to you. Um, this has actually has some good suggestions here. Take more time to offer praise and thanksgiving and prayer. Right? Um, be thankful for what you have. Sing hymns louder during worship. I like that one. Um, interact with your loved ones more frequently and on a deeper level. I mean, turn off the TV from time to time and just have a conversation. We're trying to do that in our house. You know? uh, it was easy last week. Yeah, right? <laughs> Actually, we had power the whole time except for like a few times during the night one night. So we didn't have the excuse. We, we still had the internet and stuff. And, um, but we did, we did read a little bit more and call on people and make sure they were doing okay as much as we could. Me. What's that? You didn't call me. I called Tim. He didn't tell you? Huh. Oh, Karen, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Benita, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll give you a call. I'll give you a call tomorrow. I'll put that. Oh, okay. <laughs> She's going to be out partying tomorrow. Well, tomorrow, tomorrow we have our midweek services, so maybe I'll see you then. Uh, we'll see. It's, if it's at night, no. We have it at 12.15 and 7 p.m., so one of the two. Whichever one you can make if you want to come. Or both. Or both. Or both, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, all right, so how about number eight? So we gotta move, we'll move on here and get on to chapter 10. We can get through it. I, I, I can feel it. All right, mm -hmm. share the three most important things God has given you to do with your might, verse 10, right? Um, three most important things. Of course, answers will vary, but if y'all want to share something. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll go first if that helps. Um, three most important things God has given me to do with my might. Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is three most important things God has given me to do. I mean, with my might. I can tell you something. Keeping a family together. Yeah, I was going to say doing all I can to make sure that my, my family is taken care of uh, materially, spiritually, physically. Um, doing what I can do. I can do it better, I will be honest with that. Um, and it almost feels weird being a pastor that I, my job is this, right? My job is talking to people and reading God's Word and reading about God's Word uh, so that others would benefit from it, um, as well as my family, right? But I think that's a big one. My family is up there it's the top one actually so uh, I was always told and and you know I may get in trouble with some people because they'll think that, oh you're not serious about being a pastor but I am because I take this seriously that it was taught to me and I 
I agree with this, that as a pastor, you need to have a list of priorities. And your first priority is as a Christian, first and foremost. You have your priority as a Christian. Your second priority is as a husband or a father, whichever one you are, if you're both. Your third priority is then as a pastor. Right? you got to take care of your family. I think it goes for everybody, though. I mean, any, any vocation that you're in, if you're a lawyer, if you're a doctor, okay, you're helping people, you're saving lives, but how's your home life? Who are the ones that God has entrusted to you, right? Um, that's really important. So, how about y'all? Three most important things, I kind of rambled on there, I got off the topic, but three most important things God has given you to do with your might. Chastise improper behavior in my family. <laughs> Chastise improper behavior in your family. Well, we need one. We need we need someone like that in every family. Especially especially if you're the father, right? You know, it's a father's responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what does it say in Hebrews that um, if you are not being chastised or disciplined, then you are not Love. a legitimate son. Right? Um, Hebrews says that because he also says, because when we had earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a time for our good. Now, not everybody has a good father, so that's not a great example for everyone. But ideally, fathers ought to lay down the law and enforce it. Not because they're cruel, not because you know, they want to get one over on their family, but ideally because it's good. Right. How to live in the world? Yeah, laws are good for laws are there for a reason, right? Um, to keep you within the bounds, to keep you from going out and doing something you shouldn't do, and that'll cause harm to you, right? right. And to somebody else, it's good for you. Anybody else want to say three most important things, or at least one important thing that God has did, has given you to do with your might? Care for people. That's mine. Yeah, care for yeah. Um, everyone has their own vocation. Yeah. <laughs> everyone has their own vocation to fulfill in this life, you know. Um, and we hold several vocations all at once. Fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, children. You know, I, you know, still have my parents, so I am their child still. But I have also a husband and a father, and I'm a pastor, you know, um, and I'm a child of God, Right? First and foremost. So it's like, where are you in life? What sort of things, you know, and, and, and um, sadly, um, there are people who are widowed or, or, or widowers, and it's, I guess, counterintuitive to the world, but there's something for them to do too, right? Prayer. Prayer um, and being cared for and encouraging others, right? That's what scripture says um, for those folks that, you know, it's like Anna and Simeon in the temple. They lived in the temple, basically. Um, and they were cared for by the church. And they were given the task of prayer and encouragement to other people. I think I think we could we could um, really learn something from that for sure, because nowadays 
the world looks at the elderly and they say, what good are they? What? Yeah! Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy that people would say that? I'd say, well, I mean, God loves them, right? I hope so. Yeah, he does. God loves them, and as children of God, ideally, if they are, they ought to, you know, be praying to him, giving thanks for all that they have, and praying for other people. I mean, that's one of the things that um, we're going to be working on with assimilation is getting out, is, I think, creating the... Anna and Simeon Society for Shut-Ins. We bought bought a bunch of copies of um, Luther's A Simple Way to Pray, sending it out to them, saying, hey, you can do something. You can pray. You can pray for us. You can pray for others. You know, that's one of the best things you can do, actually. It's probably the best thing to do ever. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Ecclesiastes 10. Who would like to read Ecclesiastes 10 for us? It's fairly short. It's kind of a list of proverbs, mostly. You mean chapter 10? Ecclesiastes chapter 10, yeah. Dead flies putrefy for fumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly with one respected for wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at its left. Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom, and he knows everyone that he is a fool. If the spirit of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post, for councilman pacifies great offenses. Now go back and see. Is that all? No, it's... Uh, oh, there uh, is an evil, and I have been under the sun. I have seen under the sun. As an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity. While the rich sit in a lovely place, I have seen servants on the horses. While the princes walk on the ground like servants. He who digs a pit will fall into it. And whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarters quarry stone may be hurt by them, and he who spoils good wood may be endangered by it. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. A serpent may bite when it is not uh, charmed. The babbler is no different. The words of the wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of the fool shall swallow him up. That's an awful long. You want me to go to the next one? The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. A fool also is full of wor words, a man cannot tell what shall be, and what shall be after him who can tell him. The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them, because he knoweth not how to go to the city. Woe to thee, O land, when thy child is a when thy king is a child, 
and thy princes eat in the morning. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. By much slothfulness the, decay, the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands the house droppeth through. A feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. Curse not the king, know not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. Okay, so a lot of, lot of proverbs here, right? Um, again, anything stand out to you the most there? Yeah, verse 19. Yeah. The feast money is answers everything. <laughs> the feast is made for laughter and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. Yeah. Um, I like the one, uh, you know, if, if, if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength, but wisdom brings success. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like that one too. And because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks or droppeth through. I like that too. Um, just for the sake of time, let's dive in to discuss. So, although the same end awaits the wise and the foolish, what must be said about fools? Verses 1 through 3. His wisdom fails him. Because he doesn't have it. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have it. I mean... Um, it's better to be wise than to be a fool, even though wisdom is suffering, right? I mean, I think, was it Solomon in the past, and in, in this book, he elsewhere has said that to be a fool is obviously folly, but it's also meaningless to be wise if you're only wise under the sun, right? That's kind of the key here. But it's better to be wise than to be a fool, for foolishness leads to destruction. Um, any other thoughts on that? Yeah, it's easy to recognize a fool. It's not always easy to recognize a wise man. Mm. In fact, <laughs> there's a lot of people who claim to be wise but are actually fools. Right. Right? So you got to be careful. You have to be wise yourself to know the difference. Mm -hmm. Um, how about list additional examples of the meaninglessness of life under the sun according to the following verses? Uh, verses 4 through 7, and selected verses 16, 17, and 20. So, additional examples of meaningless of life under the sun. How about just start with verses 4 through 7? Yeah, if a policeman pulls you over, be nice to him. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's true. You know, it's it. It is. It's I mean, true. If you're combative with them, you're in for trouble. Yeah. I guarantee you, you're not going to talk your way out of the. Well, you know, or whatever. Like, I, I don't. That there is something to be said for, uh, you know, okay, back the blue and everything like that. Respect the police officers. Right. Although at the same time. Uh, there's something to be said for, um, like, you should obey the authorities. But understand when you're obeying a bad law, 
right? And what it means to resist that or to peacefully resist that. Uh, but also deal, deal that's, that's what it means, that's partly what it means to deal wisely with these things. That there's a saying, you can beat the rap, but you can't beat the ride. Have you heard that? Mm -hmm. So if you are pulled over by a cop on the road, you know, and he's going to get you, he's going to get you. Yep. Nothing you do can stop that, right? Uh, but later on, you might be able to have the charges fought, dismissed, or whatever. You can fight it later on. So deal wisely in the situation, and that's where a lot of people get in trouble. They think if I mouth off to the cop, that's what he deserves. That's what he gets for coming after me. Just like, that's foolish. It's foolish. Because what happens in the end is that you go to jail, and now you have an extra charge tacked on that you can't beat. You could have beaten the other one, you can't beat this one. They got you on video, right? <laughs> Nowadays, for sure. Um, and so, and so, it's just like, just do what they ask you to do. Politely decline if they ask you to do something that's not appropriate or whatever. Politely decline. Say no, I can't. No, I, I, I'd like to speak to an attorney. This, that, and the other. Thankfully, we still have those rights in our country, uh, upheld for the most part. So yeah. Deal wisely with rulers, for they hold the power, uh, at least temporally, right, in this world. Um, deal wisely with them. What about... Um, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, what about... Yeah, you know, see, uh, verse 16... Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. What is the princes feast in the morning? I'm not quite sure. I'll be honest with you. Um, it seems it's probably because it's backwards, you know. Because then he says later on, he says, "Blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles, and your princes feast at the proper time." Okay. Right for strength, and not for drunkenness. I guess that's what it is. Because when you feast, typically you would also have wine. And you would, you would have occasion, like a big feast was not just food. It was also, you know, uh, drinking wine and having a good time. Like the wedding feast at Cana with Jesus. The biggest deal was not that they ran out of food, but they ran out of wine. Right? So it would involve getting, getting, getting a little tipsy. Right? So basically, don't be a morning drinker. Uh, don't drink before noon. That's a good rule of thumb, right? When your king is a child, also, the, I mean, child children are generally not as wise as adults or fathers. Well, <laughs> that's right. They're reactive. When they want something, they want it now. Yes. They don't want to wait until the proper time. That's right. And, you know, I think what we should do often, or more, more so in, in the church, is realize the role of men in the families and in leadership uh, because things have been kind of, things have been put on their head in a lot of ways um, that men's roles in society and in church and in the family have been so de-emphasized. They've been degraded. Men have been degraded to the point where they say, well, a woman doesn't need a man to raise a child. Well, you can try, 
it's probably not going to be as good as if that kid had a good father, right? Um, no, yes, the, ch- like, the child will have food and clothing and shelter, but a mom can't give what a dad can give, just like a dad can't give what a mom can give, right? They both have their parts to play. And in Isaiah, um, ladies, I hope you don't take offense at this, but he does say that as a curse to Israel, that you would be ruled by women and children, because no men are there, right? And if men are there, they're probably the child. That's terrible, right? And there are probably good women who will step up, as it has happened in the past. Women have stepped up because they were good, because there were no good men to lead. Esther. Esther, Deborah, she was a judge. But that, that was to shame the men. Sorry to say, ladies, that was to shame the men. Because she was the one who went in there and got it done, and no man could. That's, that's shameful. Um, because that's not what women should be doing. Women shouldn't be going and fighting. Women should be cared for and protected. The men should go out. I mean, that's why we send men to die in battles, right? We don't typically, except for recently, send women. Women are precious. Women are to be treasured in a way that men ought to die for, yeah, as it were. Men are disposable. Men, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it's been said, and I'm kind of agreeing with it, and, and of course, Amelia is going to get upset with me, but it would be better that I died instead of her. That's right. It would be better that I died instead of her, because if I had to raise Charlotte on my own, and I'm, I'm going to try to keep it together here, if I had to raise Charlotte on my own, that is less desirable. It's less desirable than, 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 a, than that a mother would nurture the child until they were old enough to, you know, do what they need to do. You need a father, right? Just like you need a mother. You need both. Um, we won't go off on the weeds on that one, but it's, it's one of these things that, you know, when you have, when your king is a child, that's not a good thing. Right? Uh, like you said, children are foolish. They run off. They do what they want. You tell them not to do it, they do it because you said you shouldn't. Right? Yeah, it wasn't too good for <clears throat> Tutankhamun. Yeah. Or the, the... That's what I was actually thinking about. Or any of the children kings of Israel or anything like that, too. Yeah. Right? Um, how about... Uh, let me see. Verse 20. Do not curse the king, even in your thought. Do not curse the rich, even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice. And a bird in flight may tell the matter. So, I mean, what are you going to do about speaking? There is something about speaking truth to power. But in terms of entreating the rulers and the people who are in charge, it's kind of like the old saying also, right? You catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Uh, I know we're kind of throwing in proverbs that aren't in the Bible, but these things kind of matter too. That you can entreat authority. Look at Paul. Um, he was he eventually was beheaded for the faith because he would not deny his Lord Jesus Christ. But he did not speak ill against the rulers. He went through the proper channels for justice because he understood that you know, like like the persistent widow against. Sorry, y'all. 
I just broke my own rule. Uh, <laughs> actually, no, it is on Do Not Disturb, but that's that was that was my dad calling, and uh, he's on my favorites list, so he gets right through. Um, just so you know, Dad. Very good. Uh, it's true. It's true. Send him a message and said. I told them. I told them I was going to be a Bible study. I told them I was going to be a Bible study. It's okay. It's okay. It's all right. There's grace for these things. Um, no, but you can you can entreat your rulers, and like the persistent widow in the parable, right? That Jesus gives. Uh, the persistent widow keeps coming to the judge, the unrighteous judge, and says, "Give me justice." And then he finally relents because he's just tired of dealing with her, right? He gives her justice because he's tired of her just beating him over the head, right? So we can be persistent, and we can call for justice. And even if we don't get it in this life, we know that it's coming in the life hereafter, right? God says, vengeance is mine, right? We seek justice, not vengeance, right? Um, what about verses 8 and 9? We'll just kind of go through these real quick here. Verses 8 and 9. What chapter are we on? Uh, chapter 10. 10. Okay. Yeah. Verses 8 and 9. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits wood may be endangered by it. Um, to me, all of this sounds like common sense. <laughs> you know, wisdom mm -hmm. is just common sense. I know a lot of people that do not have common yeah, sense. <laughs> It's like, and I think I might have told it in here at one point in time, that when I was in New York, uh, in college, I spent a semester in New York because I was in theater and I wanted to see if I wanted to live that life. Thanks be to God I didn't. Um, but I was in New York and I was working on this set in this theater, and it was a little off-Broadway off theater or whatever, and um, there was this stagehand who was telling her friend about this story. She was crossing the street and you, you can jaywalk in Manhattan and no one, you know, you, no one cares. Um, yeah, it's pretty much true. But she was, she was walking and it, it, it had the stop, it had the hand coming up with the countdown or whatever. And uh, they have these um, horse-drawn horse carriages in New York. And she said, I kid you not, y'all. And if you know horses, this is even funnier. Because she said, what was it, that I was walking across the street and um, the light of, on the traffic light for the street that I was crossing was green, or, yeah, it was, was green and then turned to yellow. And she, and she said, she said, I kid you not, as soon as it turned yellow, that horse saw that it was turning yellow and about to turn red and it sped up to catch the light. <laughs> And I just thought to my, and I just could not, I, I laughed quietly until I could get to a place where I could laugh my head off because, because I was just like, the horse saw that it was going to turn red and the horse wanted to catch the light. I was like, 
And there's a guy up there with a whip cracking that thing on that horse. And plus, the horse has blinders. It can't see in front of I was like, oh my goodness. So yeah, it's not, common sense is not that common. Sadly. Smart yeah, right? It's like, I want to get that horse. I mean, how much does that horse cost? Uh, yeah, see color is worth a fortune. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, but okay. So, yeah, these are common sense. But I think, you know, common sense would even say, verses 8 and 9, that accidents, you know, the unpredictable can happen anytime, right? That... Uh, if you quarry stones, you could be hurt by them, right? If you split wood, you could be harmed by that. Yeah, it's like. But that's common sense. It's you true. Yeah, but it the wise, happen. the wise appreciates this, right? So the, a, a wise person would say, "I know that," but you know what? Thanks for reminding me. The fool says, "It's like I can't fall into a pit." The fool says, "I'll quarry stone all I want. I'm never gonna get hurt by that. Splitting wood, I know exactly how to do that. I'll never get hurt by it." It's like. Okay, yeah, have fun. Well, that's the most of America is a logger. Why would you want to be a logger? But look at all the people that go into it because it pays good money. So dangerous, though. Yeah, you're right. And they get... You, you know, get hazard pay, right? Yeah. <laughs> and if you live long yeah. enough to save some of it, then you're all right. But most of them die long before they save any money. It's true. <clears throat> uh, we'll skip through some of these. I mean, you see these are just, you know, like you said, common sense. But wisdom is a gift from the Lord. It will save us from the problems caused by a lack of skill. That's why I said verse 10, right? If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then one must use more strength, but wisdom brings success. I mean, hopefully if you're wise, you'll realize, oh, I'm having to use a lot more force with this axe. Maybe I should sharpen it. Work smarter, not harder. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm doing the same thing. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, we're... We're just throwing out all these parallel proverbs. It's great. Um, there's a lot of foolishness in this world, and a wise man will avoid it. Right? We don't know what will happen in life. Therefore, we have no control over it. The person who has money and not necessarily wisdom often controls things. Right? Verse 19, like you said. Um, just because you have money doesn't mean that you're wise. It doesn't mean that you're good either. Something to keep in mind. To finish all this off, let's, let's uh, see this apply section. So in this chapter, chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes, Solomon points out circumstances that add to the meaninglessness of life, but he also gives us wisdom to deal with them. One of the main themes of this chapter is rulers. What are some things we will do regarding the rulers of our land? As Christians, especially. <laughs> if you don't like them, work to have them defeated in the next election. Follow the rules until yep. you can do that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of this thing of um, know what you can, according to your conscience, and hopefully as Christians, we should follow also what Luther had to say when he was asked to recant his works, right? He said, I can't, uh, he said, um, to go against these things would be to go against my conscience. And my conscience is held captive by the word of God, right? That if we are Christians, our, our consciences ought to be held captive by God's word so that when uh, the government comes and says, you must do this, even when, when we know that it's something that God says we should not do, we have to say, I can't do that. I will decline. 
It doesn't, that doesn't mean you necessarily take up arms. It doesn't necessarily mean that you um, go on a campaign slandering someone's character. But you do say, I cannot do that. I cannot do that as a Christian. You're asking me something that it would be impossible for me to do. Just like James says that, you know, it's impossible for a freshwater spring to spew forth salt water. It just can't happen. I can't do it. Sorry, not sorry. I can't do it. Right? Because we should obey God rather than men. When the time comes. Right? But, first and foremost, what do we do on Sunday for our rulers, even if we don't like them? Pray for them. Right? Pray that God would um, guide them, that he would grant them the wisdom needed to lead according to his will. Right? Um, so we, we pray for them, we entreat them when they're doing something that's not right, we beg them to see the truth and adhere to it, and we go from there, right? Obeying what we can obey, um, resisting what we must. Uh, and it's kind of on a conscience level, right? But hopefully our consciences would be strengthened and sharpened by God's word to where we would clearly see, hey, listen, on one hand, this might be permissible, but when you really look at it, it's not good at all. So we shouldn't even bother, right? And you can fill in the blank on those things. It's kind of so complex, you can't just give one example. So, any, any closing thoughts or questions on all this before we end today? I was going to make one, but it'd take five minutes. <laughs> well, we'll save it for save next it time. for another time. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody have any, like, it, has, this, has, has this been enlightening for y'all? I know we have two more chapters next week, but it, is, 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 is Ecclesiastes more enlightening than you thought it would be so far? It, 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 it hits hard. I will say that. It hits real hard at times. Um, it basically tells us where all our forefathers that founded this country got all their rules and regulations. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny with being a Christian. I, and this is something we can, this is a whole, whole other can of worms. But I will say this, as an American, you know, this is, I don't want to fall into the line of saying, you know, we are, that, that America is the shining, shining city on a hill. You know, I know that Reagan said that, but... I mean, we're still a man-made government. We can still fall. We're not divinely ordained to be America. In a sense, right? God did not come down and say, America must be America. But we were established as a nation that did expect people to be Christians on some level. Or at least, you know, the freedom of religion in our country, uh, I hope I don't get struck down for this on YouTube, but I mean, as a, as a nation, we were established with the freedom of religion. We didn't really expect that to include Hindus and Muslims. I mean, that wasn't in the scope of the founders' um, intentions. But at the same time, like we at least ought to acknowledge that to adhere to our laws and to adhere to the virtues that our government and our society tries to instill, it's best to be a Christian. Um, yeah, you can be an American and you can be a Muslim. 
You can be an American, you can be a Buddhist, you can be an American and be a Hindu, you can be American and be an atheist. But our laws were written mostly by Christians. I don't think we should throw the baby out with the bathwater, is what I'm saying. That uh, you can, you can, uh, you, you'll be better served by our understanding of our country and what our founders intended if you are, if you are in some sense a Christian in the broad sense, right? That's why I think, I think even Muslims still see America as a Christian nation, mm -hmm. for the most part. Yeah, because we all still have our hands. Hands. We still have our hands. We're just gonna move on from that one. <laughs> Karen, I see you shaking your head. That's okay. That's okay. He's not. He's not necessarily wrong. Okay. We're we're gonna close here. We're we're a little over time, but we'll stop there. Uh, let's close with the Lord's prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.